but I don't get colds. Um, I don't get sick. And I really believe it's something, you know, for me. Welcome back to Against the Herd. I'm your co-host, Bruce Horner. I'm your co-host, Nick Bosted, where we discuss unconventional ways that lead to unconventional success. Uh, we got a great one today. Uh, Mr. Glenn from Sauna Times um, is going to go through a wide variety of topics relating to sauna and how he added it as a part of his life. If you haven't listened to it yet, we did a podcast on kind of the facts about sauna. And this episode is a fantastic story of sauna. Couldn't have said it better. Um, you know, we, we typically keep this short form. This was so damn good, we had to push it to an hour. So we really hope you enjoy this. Nick, let's get into it. Glenn, thank you so much for taking the time to to spend with us. Um, you know, we, we won't spend too much time on how we were able to get, get here, but through a mutual friend. Um, and, yeah, I'd really love us to just start from – you know, you're the very beginning. I, I'd love to know a little bit of background, where you're from and, uh, you know, what were you like growing up? Like, did you always have an entrepreneurial spirit? Uh, were you, were you always looking at, you know, different ways to, uh, to, I don't know, catch, you know, get a feeling, the same type of feeling that we get from saunas. So, yeah, I grew up in Buffalo, New York. Um, you know, I'm an East coaster and I moved to Minneapolis in 1988. Between that period, I lived in Europe and I spent Quite a bit of time over there and uh one of the more formidable experiences i had is the summer of 85 um, on an island between finland and sweden um rebuilding a, a house I've, I've always taken to the trades to building uh to creating and stuff as a as a not as a career or a, as an entrepreneur but just more as a hobby um and so in the in the crazy um uh thing uh, the crazy like coincidence of things is is sauna came into my life in that summer um, on an island in the Baltic archipelago. Uh, and when I felt sauna, that sauna, the real sauna, for the first time, um, it just hit me like completely. And it, it has always been a part of my life since then. I mean, we can share how long that is. Uh, what is that? That's like 30 something, 20 something years, you know, 27 years, getting on 30 years almost. Um, yeah, and so that's not been my vocation, sauna. You know, to answer your question, Bruce. Uh, you know, I've been in the food food industry. I worked for Nestle for twenty years. Uh, a, you know, a pretty big position, managing forty million in sales. Um, and so I was able to do what I call the barbell strategy. And I know a lot of your listeners, you know, maybe young, you know, finding their place in the wellness space, or you know, trying to trying to you know look look at where their position is in terms of. Is this my vocation or is this my passion? And um, everybody's got an opinion. And, you know, I'm only sharing my experience. What worked for me is to keep my vocation uh, separate from my passion. Um, and so, yeah, that's what I did. Uh, you know, wife, a couple of kids, worked a career, uh, but really leaned into sauna as my love and um, in many ways uh, without dollar signs in my eyes. And you have an interesting formula too. I, I saw it was, uh, I think it's will, info, time, over money, equals, uh, you 
happiness to the second degree. Yes. Um, I really, I, I, I love, when I saw that, I, I, that really resonated. And, and I'm curious. So to, you know, Buffalo, New York, I'm a, I'm somebody, I grew up in West Virginia. I'm a blue collar guy. I like white collar things is how I coined myself. And, you know, sometimes I don't know about you, but for me, you know, the world was only, but so big uh, in there. And so you had the passion to go to Europe. Like, what was it that, that hit you that was like, I'm going to Europe? Well, you know, I tell you, sometimes in life, the things that give you constraint, you know, really allow you to have opportunities. And the constraint that was put on me was, uh, was, was in my sophomore year, or my junior year of high school, uh, my parents moved way out into this, like, really homogenous suburb, um, further away from my friends and further from the city of Buffalo. And, uh, and, and that, I, was, I felt very deprived uh, as a high schooler. And I think I just shot myself out of a cannon because I went to college uh, in upstate New York, Ithaca College. And um, the London, they have a London exchange program, a college, you know, study abroad type deal. And I'm like, get me out of this damn suburb. I'm going to go experience things. So, you know, it's funny when you, when you have a comfortable life and good friends and, you know, uh, you don't do uh, uncomfortable things. Um, but I was living uncomfortable. You know, I was, I was really bored in this suburban life and college opened things up for me. And then the opportunity to go overseas really opened up things for me. So that's, that's how I got into it. I, I love that. And I, I resonate with that a lot. Um, I too, like born families all from the DC area. Then you send me to West Virginia and it's like, I'm used to bus stops and a bunch of people. And it's like, now I have gravel roads. I, for all the listeners though, let's be clear. People in West Virginia have teeth. All right. I digress. Um, but okay. So you get 1985 and it was really interesting. So you're, you're, backpacking with your friend john and it's in the summer mosquitoes are everywhere and then you get picked up but one thing that i i picked up and we don't have to go into all the story which i mean i'd love to but the one thing that i really picked up was that the sauna um just from the skin like was that one thing that you really you noticed very quickly was with the mosquito bites and how many that you all had being out there Right on, Bruce. So, so the story is like we were hitchhiking, a couple Americans hitchhiking, and uh, we got picked up by a very sympathetic uh, um, uh, lady who uh, she was the um, home ec teacher in this little town in Sweden. And um, her husband was a dentist, and uh, they took pity on me and John. They could tell that we didn't belong in this 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 road, this secondary road that would we. I mean, we we well, I don't know how we ended up there, but. It was rainy. It was a rainy day all day long. All our clothes were wet. And it was like this angel from above. She pulled over in her Volvo and we hopped in the car and we drove the 20 miles into this little beautiful little town. And she said, you know, above my husband's dental studio is our apartment, uh, extra apartment. You're welcome to stay. And it has a, had a small sauna in it, a little two person electric. Uh, and she flipped the switch and she says, here's a couple of robes and towels. I'm going to go down and make some dinner for us. It was a wonderful homemade meal from the home economics teacher. And, and we had an hour or two to ourselves. And the first thing I did is started unpacking my backpack and putting the wet clothes on the sauna benches 
And then about 20, 30 minutes later, I just neutered up, went on the sauna bench. And um, I mean, I was still cold from the night before camping and the day of hitchhiking, wet and cold. And that, that really hit me. I mean, I was like, wow, this is great. And throwing water on the rocks, I just felt, you know, very at home in that um, environment. It was so warm and welcoming and in healing. I mean, it really did get rid of mosquito bites and I felt so clean. It had been days, you know, since we showered and stuff. So, it, it, you know, Bruce, it hit on many cylinders. Interesting. And so you're feeling it not, not just from the, the skin, but you're feeling it. Uh, and you had been in a sauna before, before then, uh, before, but it was just something about being on the complete opposite side, right? You're stranded. You, you don't know what next is, is like. So you know what the worst of it is in the summer in the Scandinavia area. And now you're feeling this from a skin, but you're also probably feeling something just like in like internally of the sauna working, but also the fact that, you know, these strangers, which doesn't happen that often anymore. I mean, no one even goes to the side of the road to like fix someone's tire. So probably a combination of all of that, just coming together, making a, a fantastic event. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, we, I climb Maslow's hierarchy of needs pretty quickly. I'll give it to you. <laughs> nice. And I have a question, Glenn. Was it the feeling while you were in the sauna that was very striking to you, or was it how you felt after or both? It was both, Nick. Yeah. I mean, you know, it was just this sort of like complete reset button. You know, from hell, we, I went, we went from cold, wet, mosquito-y, smelly, um, all that to clean, dry, satiated, warmed. Um, Yeah, a a complete transformation, Nick. Understood. Mm. And so walk us through what happens next. So they, you know, they they give you, very generous, they give you packed lunch, they send you on your way, but you're not done. You and John aren't done, right? You guys, you guys catch a ferry. Yeah, right. Exactly. So, yeah, we kept hitchhiking, found ourselves uh, in Stockholm. I was looking at the topography, that land between or that the Baltic Sea between Finland and Sweden is just really beautiful to look at, even on a map, because you see these this this archipelago, this dotting of islands on a map. And I'm like, I want to go there. And and I, and we did. And there there's a public ferry system out of Stockholm that will bring you all the way down to Helsinki and you can be on this, like this, this program where you just pay, you know, a a fee and you can get on and off the the public ferries. And I'm like, this sounds cool to me. And I I just grooved on that um, with John. And we were on one of these ferries when we met Gunnar, he had a little tool bucket and he was going out to Tome's uncle's Island, um, you know, to do work. And he heard us speaking English and um, and and um, Gunnar took some pity on us because he uh, um, he had been in New York City working construction himself, and uh, yeah, and so that that was the deal, and uh, and so we did that. We uh, he was an ambassador for us, and uh, and then that's how I spent the summer with my American friend and Tome and Gunnar, and every night you know it was land of the midnight sun, and we'd knock off work and hop into uh, Tomei's boat and go to his other uncle's island that had the most gorgeous scene. Like there was this old school cabin on the peninsula in this private little bay 
with a sauna maybe 100 yards around the cove. And, uh, yeah, we would pull up perch and flounder, uh, you know, peel and boil potatoes, and we would sauna into two. And then they loved the vodka, and we'd have beer. And 2, 3 in the morning, we'd hop in the boat after this, like, long, relaxing evening, and we would hop, we'd go back to the other island and crash. Well, it's probably a good thing there weren't a ton of women out there. I mean, that you, know, you might not have ever came back to the states. <laughs> and, uh, yeah, there were those. They were there, that's for sure. But you know, we, we, hey, look, you know, if you could have an experience like that, or be with a pretty girl, I mean, you know, choose your weapon. But that was a really awesome time to just work and then you know relax and sauna and jump in the Baltic eat fresh fish. Uh, it, yeah, it was pretty magical. That is when men were men. Like those were the, those were the glory years. I, I'm curious on the, so I, I personally, I haven't jumped into a sauna. I haven't been in a sauna like drinking or anything like that, but I know that having a beer or two just really relaxes you. Is there a difference that you notice too? Just like having like a drink or two, obviously yeah, I don't think that you all were hammered. Maybe you were, I don't know. But like, what was that, you know, do you notice something, something different in, in doing that? Well, yeah, there's a lot to your question on that. I mean, I'll bring it up to the modern time. Well, you know, for me, like two is the new three. I used to enjoy, you know, three beers for sauna, um, my sauna sessions. Maybe it's one, maybe it's two, maybe it's zero. I mean, it doesn't, uh, it depends how I'm doing at the time. But, you know, my good friend, Tom, he's with sauna and alcohol. He's he says it right. He says, you got to earn it. And I really believe in that. I mean, you know, sauna, you know, it it you it draws a lot of uh, sweat out of your body and you really have to watch hydration. I, I could tell you guys some tips about hydration because I've learned from the pros over in, in Finland uh, specifically about hydration and how important that is. But the counterpose to that is when you think about alcohol, like my buddy Tom, he'll have he'll crack a beer after round two because he's earned it. But, you know, my my thing is I'll crack a beer typically or often after round one uh, and and have a sip or two and always leave it in the in the cool down room. Never alcohol in the hot room. It's kind of silly. It gets hot. And, you know, you want to earn that. So you want to have that. I, I like to have that sip or two. Before I go into round two, it just feels good, tastes good, and then uh, and then I have a nice cold beer waiting for me after a cold plunge. Uh, hey, you know it works for me. It's it's this concept of moderation, uh, relaxation. Uh, I like the taste of a cold beer. Uh, sometimes maybe it's a mixed drink. Sometimes, like I say, it could be just bubble water, you know. But it's about moderation, and um, and that's what's worked for me for thirty something years. Oh yeah. Fantastic. I'm, and bef before we lose the, the topic, I would be very curious to hear your hydration tips while we're, while we're on the please. topic. Sure. Okay. Well, and I also sauna with pro athletes, um, uh, NHL hockey players and, and that, and they're very in tune to hydration. I predict, and I, and you will see hydration becoming more significant and, um, uh, in, in our, in our lifestyle, right. And it starts at the pro level, the, the high, you know, the, this, the, these guys are high-performing athletes that sweat like crazy every night. So, you know, there's a lot of um, science that's being um, um, uh, put through the pro-athlete um, 
uh, protocols, you know, you're cramping up and, and that it's just, it's too expensive to take lightly. So it's trickling down from the pro athlete side. But ironically, I got hip to the importance of hydration by sauning in Finland with pros, with serious sauna people. And there is a mineral water uh, from Estonia called Vasa. And uh, I noticed the difference uh, of, of having mineral water or minerals. Um, and, and to that point, a lot of bottled water, um, and I, there's no clinical proof to this right now, but for me, and I'll just speak for me, if I drink a bottle of water uh, like Aquafina and all that, uh, I find that dehydrating. Um, I think it's devoid of minerals. And I think what's going to start to come out is drinking this stuff. And this is just me and my experience. But drinking that stuff is a dehydration thing for me. I will have mineral drops uh, and then drink 32 ounces of tap water. We I'm in Minneapolis, Minnesota. We actually have very good tap water. And uh, and then and that's that's my initial sauna protocol. And I'll fill that 32 ounce vessel and drink that through my sauna session. But not my we, we have a reverse osmosis system here in our house. I don't use that. I use tap water in uh, because of the minerals. There's magnesium, sodium, potassium. And uh, there's another one. Uh, I want to say maybe iron. But this is what the fins do. They they they. Uh, they, when they sauna like crazy, they are very conscious of minerals. And uh, I am too. Uh, I used to get really tired after sauna in Minneapolis because I was using the reverse osmosis system. But up at our island cabin, I would never get sauna, tired with sauna because I was using a filtered lake water system. That, uh, and so I really got hip to minerals. And that's uh, a big game changer for people that sweat a lot and sauna a lot. I, I think you're going to see a lot more of this you know, consciousness. Understood. Well, that is a, a fantastic tip. I'm taking notes because um, that is that is certainly fantastic. And then going back to the topic, when you could you talk a little bit about you said like the Finns do bringing a lot of that knowledge to you know, the states and evangelizing saunas in the states. Could you just kind of walk us through you know, that process, what that was like and the changes you've seen since you started doing it? Well, that's a great question. Um, yeah, I mean, you picture a country with five and a half million people and a hundred thousand lakes and um, three million saunas. You know, uh, this is a this isn't just a multi-generational thing. I mean, this is an ancestral thing that is just taken hold in that region, uh, the Baltic region, sauna is really big as well. But, you know, the Finns, you know, it's, it, I guess if there's a country that would win the Olympics for sauna, it would most certainly be Finland. Um, and so to spend time over there 30 something, 30 years ago and all that, and then go back in 2019 for the first time, I mean, that it was a long hiatus for me. What really struck me is that the sauna that I remembered from the Baltic is the sauna that I recreated in America. And it's just a really cool concept that there are many Finnish ancestors in the north of Minnesota um, and they brought sauna with them and they brought sauna building and sauna stove building with them. And, um, and there's this pocket up there that has really good sauna. And that's the pocket I really settled in for all that time. So it was just so beautiful for me to go back to Finland and I took 50, 50 saunas in 12 days. I was a madman. 
And one of the ways I was able to do that is the consistency of good heat. I just got energized. And then the, then the minerals, like I'm telling you about, I was just like on a marathon of joy. Um, and, and that's one of the great things. When you feel good heat, it's all over. And so I have a question when you're, because you've brought up, you even said good heat, even when we were emailing back and forth. And so the question that I have is, is it more about the temperature? Like when you're talking about good heat or does good heat, does it matter? Can you get higher, higher temperature because it's good heat versus if you have bad heat and even if it's a little bit lower, it's just, just not feeling, it feels even hotter than what it actually is. And it's just you, your body, it doesn't feel natural. T temperature is is only one measure uh, of heat, um, and this is what a lot of people don't understand, and that's okay. Uh, you know, it's it's like oh, I did you know two, I like two hundred for twenty minutes and all that. So I'm going to get nerdy with you a little bit, but it's all going to make sense here. Okay, we want to talk about a sauna climate, right? And sauna, it's very simple. It's the the optimization of heat, steam, and ventilation. And that's all you need to know about good sauna, heat, steam, and ventilation. Okay, heat is a, is a is, temperature is one measurement of heat, but heat is different. Like if those that are good chefs understand where I'm going with this, because if you, if you heat with a little thin frying pan, your eggs are going to come out a certain way. If you heat with a cast iron frying pan, your eggs come out differently because there's this thing called can, can, conductive heat. Okay. That's a heat transfer mechanism. So the flame heats this cast iron, you know, a pan, and then that heat transfers directly into the eggs and it cooks the eggs differently. So we have to be cognizant of the three types of heat transfer. There's radiant heat transfer, conductive heat transfer, and convective heat transfer. Okay. So, so that's heat. So I'll jump right over to ventilation and talk about the third one. Now, convective heat transfer is just about like air movement, like a convection oven heats through air movement, right? So this is the secret of the Holy Trinity of good sauna, heat, steam, ventilation. Ventilation is the hidden one. You don't see it, but and you barely feel it. But when you have that air movement, okay, this is to your point, Bruce, is you could be in 160 with air movement, and it feels like 200 with dead air. Okay, so temperature is a variant, right? So if you're if you're creating good ventilation, not only you're oxygenating oxygenating the sauna, which is very critical, but that air movement is a different scene. It's a different feel. It's it cool. It you can you want that. You want that level of air movement uh, because of the importance uh, ventilation. Just is the importance of the air movement instead of dead air. And then of course, steam. Steam is like lolu. Lolu is a very spiritual element to sauna. And if you can't throw water on the rocks, you are not experiencing sauna. So that's it. Holy Trinity. Temperature is only one barometer of the climate of sauna. And to be clear, Hell so you're yeah. saying ventilation just being the air moving within the sauna itself, not outside of the sauna. The sauna is its contained climate, in, ventilation being the air moving within it. Air movement within the hot room, okay? So in a, where, the, where it's lost in translation is that when you think about commercial saunas at health clubs or even sauna manufacturers in North America, 
or sauna builders, okay? The concept is, is we're going to make a room that's hot and we're going to do everything we can to keep the heat in the room. This is the this is the mindset and wiring and it's it's just the fact, right? Like like if you're going to build an if you're going to hire a contractor to build a a wine cellar that's like 40 degrees, you're going to insulate the wine cellar and not allow 40 degrees to get in the house. But that's wrong. That's wrong. With sauna, you you it's critical to have ventilation. So you have to change the mindset for contractors and the Americanization of sauna, you have to allow for airflow. You have to encourage and you create this ventilation in the hot room. It's very important. Is there any way for the many people who all they have access to is that health club type sauna to bring ventilation in? Is there any way that they can do that or does it have to start with the construction? Well, there's a rudimentary way and it's interesting um, about Aufguss. Aufguss is a German uh, technique where in the hot room, um, it, they, they'll, they'll spin towels around and it's, a, you know, it's become an art uh, and you can create air movement within the hot room, uh, with, with this type of, of process of, you know, and it's cool. I mean, there's a real art and the Italians are into off goose. It's a central European thing. And in, in, in my opinion, this off goose sort of came about to help with this problem, uh, of commercial saunas, not circulating air properly. So, yeah, in a very rudimentary way, spinning a towel around, that's going to create air movement within the hot room um, because what you have is the stratification thing where it could be 180 on the top of the bench and, you know, 100 at the bottom of the bench. So, yeah, and Nick, that, that's, that's the rudimentary way. But, you know, there is for electric, you know, 99.9% .9 of health clubs and, uh, you know, workout centers and stuff uh, that have sauna have electric sauna. And the problem with electric sauna versus wood-fired sauna is the electric sauna is just heating, you know, within the room. So it does not, you know, the only, so if you have a gravity, it's called gravity ventilation, it's just relying on the principle of heat rising to create a, what's called a convective loop so that you can get airflow. But it's, it's, it may, it needs a little oomph. So in electric sauna, in the best electric heated sauna, commercial saunas, uh, they um, it will introduce mechanical ventilation. But I would have to say 90 to 95% of health clubs in North America have none of that. Again, back Understood. to the reasoning is because the mindset is we need to keep this air in the room. Right, and not there. Got it. And then to go back to the prior point of the Holy Trinity steam, um, you mentioned before about not measuring things super precisely, and, and I want to certainly get into that. But steam, is there, um, you know, how much are we talking? Is it, you know, constantly? Is it at certain po points of sauna? Are there different oils that you find useful? Talk to us about that. Sure. So um, I mentioned Aufguss, and um, there's really two uh, schools of thought here, or two approaches. This free flow deal and then this prescribed deal, right? So the the fins are free flow, right? Like like in a public sauna, um, generally what you would have happen is uh, someone comes into the hot room and and usually the kiwas or the sauna stove is very close to the door, and then it's polite to ask, uh, do, you, "Do you guys want water on the rocks?" And then yeah, yeah, we'll take water. And then um, the person entering the sauna will dip, you know, into the water bucket, into this with the spoon, and throw probably 
uh, I'm just going to say 12 to 20 ounces of water uh, and sprinkle it around the rocks and then usually hear a ketos, you know, thank you. And then that person finds themselves on the sauna bench. It's a very practical way so that those already sitting up above the rocks uh, don't have to get up and go back, go down and throw water, you know, to make steam. So that's the finish style. It's like, you know, but in the private, in a private sauna, it's like eye roll. I mean, over there, it's like when you want steam, you throw steam, you know, it's just, it's just free flow, free form and all that. But I, I talked to you about like in the German style, um, there are these, like, like everybody goes in the hot room, like picture a big, like in America where you have a water park, you know, there are those type of facilities in Germany, specifically in Austria and, you know, um, Slovakia has got these Poland, um, even up into the Scandinavian countries. But this is, we're talking about a big facility that can handle like 20, 30 wristbands that, you know, people at a time and there's multiple saunas. And it's on the board that says, okay, you know, at, at 8.30 p.m., you're going to meet, you know, Hector, and Hector is going to uh, do an off session. So everybody stands outside the sauna, and at 8.30, everybody walks in, the door closes, and Hector does his magic. He's got, he's got water, he's got essences in the water, and uh, he's got towel, and he does his theater. And that's, that. you know, I'm giving a very broad stroke of off-kus, an off session, but Everybody enters together, everybody leaves together, and there's a prescribed amount of water on the rocks and a sequence to it, as well as a different um, a batch of essences, you know. And one more on that, the, the fins. One thing I really like is this tea bag of, um, of dried birch leaves. And you can make a, you add that to the lolu water, and um, I happen to like that. That's, I, I'm, I'm not into essential oils, per se, but I like this tea thing, and I, I've always done tea. Up north, I'll, I'll put some birch in water. Um, I find that to be pleasant. Um, good, Nick? You like that? Yes, that well, works. Yeah, well, well done, well said. And I'm, and I'm curious because, obviously, Finland had a, a huge impact on your life, but all great things must come to an end, so... Then you have to go. Then you have to go back to the states. I mean, I'm I'm just curious. After having the type of experience that you had there, life changing clearly. I mean, what was what was that like coming back home? I came back not by choice. My sister was getting married, and I, you know, I remember that day. I remember landing at Newark Airport, and I literally had tears in my eyes because I had such a great experience over there, and yet I knew that my life was going to change like like the randomness the backpacking the you know it, it, every it, it, it had to end i mean i'm like i'm a college graduate bumming around picking grapes in germany and you know doing <laughs> construction on an island in finland and all that shit you know i mean you got to get real at some point but but it was it was a you know a lot of people can have um you know like like a, an adjusting period when they go overseas you know, but but I my my uh, readjustment was really hard to come home. You know, it's kind of odd. But uh, what I did is I really leaned into my love of nature and lakes and uh, and islands and sauna. And I moved to Minnesota, the land of 10,000 lakes and recreated uh, uh, that love um, here in, in our country. And um, so I'm grateful for that. I met my wife, you know, beautiful wife. We have two kids. 
And, you know, I, I live my life here as an American, uh, but I do love it over there. It, it's, it seems like it. And, you know, you, you did something that most people don't, right? They get that. I mean, I came back, I did Europe for, for three weeks this past summer, and I was pretty convinced I was going to, you know, make a cafe. <laughs> I was, I was going to name it Masi Buko. Cool. Um, but it, you know, you, you get back into the swing of things. And again, my passion for cafes wasn't nearly like your passions for, for, or life changing as the sauna was. But so you, you get to Minnesota. And what's really interesting is you, not only did you, you got a cabin, but you fucking bought an island, right? 25, 25 grand. Yeah. 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 I mean, you know, this was 1989. Things were much cheaper back then, but this was the frontier. Uh, this this lake is three and a half hours north uh, and a little east, three and a half hours north of Minneapolis. And, you know, there were enough lakes for people to settle. Um, so this was not expensive to be there because there's so much lakeshore uh, and not many people going up there, you know, toward Ely, Minnesota. Uh, this lake has... 365 islands and uh it's 26 miles east to west lake vermilion um it's becoming kind of bougie and stuff now and it kind of sucks but that's life i i i was very fortunate and i i made the leap to go that far because you know nature meant that much to uh, my girlfriend at the time has then become my wife you know we both love that whole vibe um and uh and that's what we did you know so it was it was inexpensive. That island today maybe be I don't know maybe 175 grand something like that, and that's what happens. You know, a lot of people can put money into different things. You know, uh, um, I didn't live extravagantly. I drove an old, you know, 81 Honda Honda Civic, little shitbag car, and uh, I put my money into nature and, and into an island. Heck yeah. Uh, do we, is it California that's coming in? Cause there's sure as hell coming into, into Austin. Yeah. I, heard. <laughs> I know a lot of traffic in your town. Uh, well, I, I can only say, but so much because it's like, I'm, you know, I'm a, I'm a transplant too, but you know, I, I went about it the right way, which is actually really a good segue because you also mentioned that, you know, people, people in, people in, you know, the Midwest, I think there's somebody specifically, Mr. Daryl Lampa, uh, was was not a tough cookie, and they were not really too kind to the East Coasters, I imagine. <laughs> well, you know, this is a small parochial town, um, and f you, you double-dose it with being Finnish, right? Finns are, uh, you know, the, the way to tell an outgoing Finn from a shy Finn is an outgoing Finn will look at your shoes while he's speaking with you is is the is the joke you know they're they're very <clears throat> shy people by you know culture and stuff um generally i mean you know it's certain everything's changing and stuff but that's that was the life up there and um uh you know with the locals and stuff and uh, and i really loved it there's an ethos up in northern minnesota that really is dear to my heart and it's the diy ethos and you know bruce you alluded to this formula and it's a great time to revisit the formula but you know, Daryl Lampa, he, the creator of the Kuma stove, you know, it's, it's all about like will information and time, you know, like 
Like he spent time, T, you know, he spent like with his father, like 30 years um, understanding how wood burns and creating a gasification system and tinkering with, you know, the baffles of the different, you know, weight of the baffle, angle of the baffle, direction of the baffle. And, you know, you just can't whip up a sauna stove and expect it to work. I mean, time, um, they spend so much of that. And, you know, the will, you know, the W, the, the will to do that. I mean, it comes from somewhere. And, and I think that the, you know, to speak for Daryl and his father, Herbert, to develop such a beautiful product. I mean, you know, the, 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 probably the journey in the discovery and the, and the tinkering was, was its own reward for these guys. Um, that's the only thing I could think of. Something must have driven them to devote so much of that uh, uh, energy to that, for that will. Um, and that's its own reward. And, you know, the other letter there is information, right? Like, and, and that's, you know, that's the ability to research uh, about, con in, in Daryl's case, I mean, he, he knows all the different species and what percent moisture content is optimal and, and all that. So, yeah, I mean, I, I have great affinity for, for the DIY ethos and the tinkering and the WIT, will information time, you know, and when you apply all that stuff, like you can't buy that, you know, that's the, the denominator is M, money, right? And so I relate this formula for sauna building. I wrote, to, wrote a book on how to build a sauna and the more you apply in the numerator, um, your will, your own will to, you know, in your in seeking information, like reading my book, you know, using the search bar on Sauna Times, um, um, and then, and it takes time, you know. But when you do that, when you apply those, you you can build a sauna at a quite reasonable price. Like your money is not that great. And when you think about that formula, the other way around, there's so many people that just want to write a check today. Um, uh, and because they don't have the will, uh, they're not willing to put in, you know, the time um, and that information, you know, quote, is, is the mountain's too high. So, yeah, I, I think that that metaphor can apply to whatever, you know, you're thinking about, you know, you, you don't want to go, you know, whittle your own, you know, dining room table, of course, but there's other things you can do to save money. There is. And, and you know, I think that there's also... There's something to the feeling of accomplishment and there's something to the, I don't know. The only thing that I can like, I can put it towards is that John helped me with his book, not himself, but his book. It helped me convert my ice chest freezer into a cold plunge. And there's something magical every time I get in that thing. And yeah, it's not... Yeah, you know, it's it's not like if you look at it, it's not it's a deep freezer. <laughs> a deep freezer can only be, but so sexy. But so there's this, uh, there, there's this argument about renting or buying, right? Like, you know, do I want to rent? I don't want to deal with you know all of the shit to up, upkeep my house. Well, you know, this pride of ownership is uh, is a little bit what you're talking about with your own chest freezer, where you made that happen for yourself, and you should feel a joy and pride of doing that. And that's what I love about John Richter. <clears throat> you know, he's a DIY enthusiast, just like we are. And, you know, it's, it's kind of, he was ahead of his time. But when you think about these cold plunges out there for seven, 8,000 bucks, you know, and how you can coddle one together, you know, for what, what did it cost you, Bruce, the whole gig? I think, I, I think, all right, so I'll tell you what it costs, but I think what I could have done 
it cost me right about 1100 bucks. And I think I probably could have been able to do it, do it for like six to 700 hundred bucks. But I didn't want to, I, I was scared to, it's kind of like getting a stove, right? You want to make sure that you get the right stove. I want to make sure that I got the right chest freezer. Yeah, right. And so I think that's what it, that's what there, there's like some things I'm trying to learn of like not skimping on for lasting effects. So when it comes to sauna building, and I coach hundreds of people uh, on how to build your own sauna and stuff like that, you know, where what I love about this space specifically is two big things. Like the first one is you can save so much money by building your own sauna and building it right, okay? And then you can take a fraction of the money you saved and apply it to something that matters. Like the most important thing that matters is your sauna stove. So it's ironic in a way that most frugal guys build their own saunas, uh, you know, and, the, and they're the ones that invest um, the most into their uh, best sauna stove. And so that, that to me is like a really cool reward. Like, you know, you've, re- you've earned that by saving so much money. So invest in the best and they make DIY guys make the best heat, you know, because they generally apply the money where, where it counts. And the second thing you, you touched on it is just this feeling of identity, this, <clears throat> this wonderful, like, and so, you see, hey, it's different than a chest freezer, you know, a sauna is a personality and every sauna has its own soul. And when you get into this, you start to, you know, and I, I really encourage people to, to feel it, you know, like, like I get a lot of drawings, you know, what do you think of this design? This design? I've seen them all. And I'm and they're like, should I put this bench at 22 inches or this at 24 inches? And I'm like, you know, just get your stove in there, get your walls going, and then just start to sauna. And then everything, you know, like the sauna building journey need not have to end or need not have to be prescribed by a blueprint. You can kind of create your own vibe, and that's another reward. It's a very artistic process if, if you allow it to be. Yeah, I was going to say, and uh, I, I felt like that was a nice segue into start shitting on some bad stoves. I don't want to. I don't want to rob you. I don't want to rob you of of uh, shitting on some bad stoves. No, well, that and I'm also curious. Cost. We've mentioned money, so again, we can shit on the bad stoves, but also like rough costs that would give people an idea of what it would take to build one. I'm I'm very curious about that too. Yeah, yeah. I joke with my wife that you know, whenever uh, I want to know what something costs, I'll get a number in my head, and I'm usually like halfway there. Like, you know, digging an egress window, oh, that's got to be about, you know, maybe 800 bucks. Well, invariably, it's 1600, you know. So a lot of this is COVID related. A lot of this is my age related. But um, pre-COVID, you're talking about maybe for like a DIY, 7600. I would say you're looking at about 10K. Like, and I know 7600 because there's a podcast. Sauna Talk is my podcast. And Steve Friedrichs was um, on my uh, on my show, and we were just reviewing his numbers, sitting on his sauna bench, right after he built. He spent like twenty six hundred to hire a shed company to build an eight by twelve structure. He spent like twenty five hundred at the day to build or, or to buy his sauna stove, and about eight hundred bucks, uh, you know, for tongue and groove cedar, um, and then just you know insulation and incidentals. So. That was all pre-COVID, I would say. Nick, you're looking at maybe you know 11 k. I'm just throwing a number at you. If you had 11 k, you could probably DIY a really decent sauna with a kick-ass sauna stove and 
Any Finn exiting your hot room would do so with a smile on their face. Yeah. I love it. And then for, for those who, so that's obviously a big jump for those who only have access to the health club type saunas. How would you recommend that they optimize their experience? In so those? what I, I think there, there's two levels to that. The first is dealing with what is and the dealing. And then the second part is dealing what you can help create. Okay. So dealing what is, is in a tough spot. I think bringing the towel in and swinging it around is great. Chances are they're going to have a sign on there. Don't throw water on the rocks. And that sucks because, you know, without steam, it's not a sauna, right? And and the reason why that sign exists is is propaganda. They think this this sauna is going to start on fire, which is complete idiocy. All sauna stoves are with rocks are made to take water on those rocks. It's what sauna is. So um, you know, the second part is to see what you can do. It would be nice if you uh, like if you were. Um, you know, a member of this health club is if you could kind of gather a few fellow like-minded aficionados and gently get to the powers that be at this facility and say, look, I know you're not supposed to have sauna on the racks because the sign says that, uh, but really I'm better educated about this. I listen to Glenn at Sauna Times, every sauna in Finland, you can throw water on there. Not that you just can't, you do. Um, can we have like, a sauna night, you know, and just baby step this thing. Um, because unfortunately it's the lowest common denominator, you know, like in a health club, some Yahoo, you know, ringed out his bathing suit on the sauna rocks and, or who knows what, and, and now we all have to pay. So I would work on what is, you know, swinging a towel around a little clandestine water. If you can throw it on the rocks and you can get a better experience, get up on the upper bench. Um, yeah, that's the best you can do. Uh, but hopefully you could get a little bit better. And if you could get some good engagement from the health club proprietor, um, you know, who knows? Maybe you could actually create something that's real. Yeah. And and you've met, you've talked about this earlier in this episode was rounds. And I'm curious, how, did, how do you recommend someone to start who's not usually hitting the sauna um, you know, as, as regularly as they, they want to. Great. Uh, and then, you know, where, where are you at? I'm curious. Okay. So we'll start with the first part. So those new to sauna that want to get into it, right. Um, I would say, uh, you know, the, one of the things I love about sauna is that it's an opportunity to really get to know yourself, get to know your tolerances, uh, what makes you comfortable. There's no harm in being a low bench Larry, you know, uh, steam. If you can get this going, you know, if you can get steam going, you're going to open up better uh, experience. Like, so you got to get that going. You got to get heat steam ventilation working for you. Um, you can start on the upper bench, uh, throw water, get a good, good round of steam, feel it, listen to your core, not your skin. You know, uh, you can take more than you think, but you don't want to freak yourself out, right? Like if you're feeling a little lightheaded, a little dizzy, go to the low bench. Uh, a good sauna round is one in which your entire core, your entire body is heated thoroughly and evenly. It's tricky to do in a shitty sauna, but if you have a good sauna, 
your your road to you know enjoyment and um, understanding of the principles are going to be much much more aligned and better. So when you feel too hot, you just leave. And this is really where things are more significant. Is you know the cool down is is is, an, is as important as the heat up. You want to get your entire body cool before you go back in the hot room. And one of the ways we do that is, is certainly the cold plunge, right? So the holy trinity of a good cool down is cold water, nature, and time. Nature is hard to achieve in a health club, but usually if there's a pool and stuff, there's a door that, you know, emergency door, and it'll get you outside. It's so important to get fresh air and oxygen and nature. And when you're in that environment, it's just awesome. And we talked about a beer earlier, right? Like, so, you know, if you did a nice cool down, either a cold plunge, jump in a lake optimally, uh, or a cold shower, you got to get cold, cold water. Then you get out in nature and crack a beer if you can and just chill out or, or cold water to drink or a bubble water or kombucha and just be in that moment and enjoy it because that's where your body starts to equalize. You know, all of this vasoconstriction, vasodilation of your blood cells, your circulation, your heart rate does great things. You could get 120, 130, even 140 beats per minute per minute in the hot room. And then when you're sitting in a cold plunge, that can go down into the 80s, like 60 beats per, per minute even. I mean, it's insane. The heart rate variability thing. And, and, and it's awesome. I mean, your endorphins are just like, on fire in a beautiful way when you have a good climate, you know? And so that's the gig, man. You go heat, steam, ventilation and heat, you know, and you're hot and then, you know, cold water, nature, and time to equalize. Well, that was perfect. I was wanting to ask you about, you know, contrast therapy as it's known. Um, and that is fantastic. Cause in my opinion, we've seen a, a huge, you know, surge of both cold plunge and sauna, but we, I haven't seen as much, at least from the research side or, or anecdotally of, of contrast therapy. And so that sounds like, so for you, you've helped many, many people build sauna. How many of them also have cold plunges at the same time? Is, is that getting to be more common now or where does that stand? So, you know, what's funny about that in Finland, cold is always, cold water is always a part of sauna. It's just like, you know, it's what it is. And uh, and in America, there it's funny. A lot of people are coming to sauna through the cold, you know, the cold exposure thing and all the Instagram and cold plunge tanks and all of that noise. You know, okay, that's great. Um, but I, Wim Hof's been on my podcast, and we joke. It's like with sauna and cold plunge, one plus one equals three. It's it's just the way it is. It's like peanut butter and jelly. They go so well in in as a process this contrast therapy and and so yeah you know it's driving more awareness of sauna uh this cold plunge thing but in europe the cold is always a part of sauna fantastic and um I was also hoping you could touch on, we nerded out on our like sauna specific podcast about some of the biological mechanisms by why it's great, heat shock proteins and, and all of that stuff. But uh, I was just curious from you from like an anecdotal perspective, either yourself or people you've, you've built saunas with or heard of some of the health benefits that you've you know seen or experienced. 
I love the question because anecdotal is 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 irrefutable, right? Like you, you can't argue with somebody's experience, you know, but we want clinical proof for everything. And I'll touch upon that secondarily, but we'll talk anecdotally first. For me, on a personal level, I've been sounding, you know, 30 years and I don't get sick. Uh, I got COVID. It sucked, but it was, you know, three, five days. I got the mental thing. I'm still recovering. I'm still, I don't know, maybe it's my age, maybe it's COVID, but that was, that brain fog shit was real and, and, and that sucked, but I don't get colds. Um, I don't get sick and I really believe it's sauna, you know, for me, um, I'm not afraid of the cold. I, um, and so I think my tolerance is really strong and that hard nature gives me this fortitude that allows me to be, um, very, strong and healthy within my own self. I know my body very well. I know where my limits are. Um, and, and that's strength, uh, a strength through contrast therapy that, you know, that, um, I sleep great. You know, that's one of the things anecdotally that everybody will notice most everybody. Um, and it has to do with this idea of, I mentioned about heart rate variability. Um, it's a form of mild exercise on a physical sense, but there's a real emotional, psychological uh, benefit to sauna about just being able to chill out with friends, have a laugh, have a beer if we want a beer. Um, just the mental benefit of that escape, that leave your cell phone behind um, and just you go on a journey, you know, it's a little ayahuasca style you know you you're going somewhere else within your own mind um you know through the process and you lose sense of time you know my my sauna sessions are two hours at least and uh multiple rounds and that's the vibe you know that's what sauna has done for me anecdotally and and countless of my friends it's a candle that lights another candle and when you feel good heat it's all over if you're dealing with <laughs> shitty heat and, and all that, you may not get it. Or it may be a little gateway drug for you to seek the better. But when you get it, man, you, you don't lose it. And it becomes quite contagious and wonderful. I absolutely love it. Um, that is that is fantastic uh, explanation. Um, last practical question. I think I've asked every possible or we've asked every possible question um, about the you know, technicalities of how you sauna. Time of day. Morning, yeah. you mentioned evening when you were in Finland. Where, where are you at time of day? I have two windows. Uh, the primary, the optimal window for me is around four o'clock, <laughs> four or five o'clock. Um, it fits. It's like exercise. Like I, keep, I, I love exercise and then sauna. And, you know, you talk about health benefits. That's the other thing. You know, it's like I love exercise and sauna. I exercise more because I sauna. Um, it just fits uh, uh, in the, when the season's there, a bike ride uh, or a hike on the island as the sauna heats up the temperature. And then I'd like to hit it before dinner. I'd like to, if I can get in earlier, especially at the cabin, I mean, if I can string out two, three hours of that window before dinner time, um, that's a sweet spot. A little less frequently, but I'd like to sauna uh, when I was younger, w when our kids were really young, 
eight o'clock at night was a magical time. I mean, you imagine a winter winter's night in Minnesota. It gets dark at four four thirty, and you know other other buddies that have you know other dads with kids at home and stuff. You get your kids settled in, kiss your wife goodbye, grab a couple of beers, big thing of water, head over to my backyard sauna around eight, and I pull the cars out. My my backyard wood burning sauna I built as part of our garage. And in the early days, in my younger days, when the kids were really young, you know, we'd take the the cars out of the garage and I'd hook up, uh, I'd set up the ping pong table and I'd have six, eight buddies coming over, just free flow, sauna, 8 p.m. Wednesday, whoever shows, shows, you know, and we would have a great sauna party, you know, Uh, towel wrapped around you, game of ping pong as you cool down, the garage is perfect temperature, maybe 45 degrees, no wind, of course, you know. Other guys outside on the sauna deck having a beer, doing snow angels. I mean, that's living, man. And you know, I would. I remember going to bed at midnight. You know, like crawling up into bed at midnight after this like euphoria in our own backyard when it's like sub freezing outside. The whole thermal awesomeness. That's memories. That is. I feel that. Uh, right on, I, I feel that what you're saying. Right on. Good. So one more thing. What you want to ask me anything else or you want to keep going or what do you think? No. Um, you know, I think we're, we're coming up right about that time. So I want you to, the, the floor is yours. Uh, I want you to talk about, you know, I know that you started sauna times in 08, uh, sauna talk 2016. Um, yeah. Tell us about your business. Tell the world about your business and tell us, everything it is that we haven't gotten to. Sure. Well, you know, sauna times, again, it's, it's my passion, not my vocation. Um, it's about the love of, of good sauna and sharing that with others and helping others find it for themselves. You know, that's, that's what fuels me. And it's really rewarding. You know, uh, it's like a candle that lights another candle. Good sauna is like a candle that lights another candle. And when you feel good heat, it's all over. And, in America, there's this bastardization of anything, anything and everything, you know, uh, yoga, yoga is a good one, you know, like there's power yoga and core yoga and, and drive through yoga. And, you know, it's just like, give me a break, you know, and saunas following the same trajectory, you know, there's shitty sauna, there's infrared that is not sauna that's called sauna and, and you can detox and you can lose your this and all that. It's just a bummer and it fuels me even more to to talk with guys like you that really have a, a, a thirst for the real the real authentic and i'm telling you it's a game changer when you feel good heat it's all over and that's what's exciting to me these are these these step these are stepping stones to good sauna and the more shitty sauna that's out there the more opportunity there is for good sauna because when you when you take like a crowbar and you you take apart your shitty ass sauna and you get a real sauna and you experience a real sauna, you're you're going to be so happy because it's just like a game changer. Right. It's just so obvious. It's just so obvious that, you know, you when you create good heat, it's a game changer. So I'm all in on that deal, man. That That's my gig. There's so many sauna businesses popping up. It's the craft brewing revolution. Right. Like. This country used to have shitty beer and you could maybe get Heineken, you know, 
And that was from, you know, from, from the Netherlands and Bex from Germany and stuff. That was it. And then these guys started making beer and then they started giving beer to their friends. And this craft brewing thing started just like sauna is today. These, these impassionate saunapreneurs are starting sauna businesses and bringing good heat to their community because they're shitty heat at health clubs. And that's what I love. I love the saunapreneur movement that's, that's creating good heat and sharing it with others. And that's what's happening right under our nose right now. I feel like now I, after this conversation, I can never go back to Natty Light. <laughs> that's it, man. You, if you like that, you know, there's a lot of people that like shitty beer, right? And that's okay. But man, it's so fun to, to find people that love good sauna. They're good people. I've, I've met only a one or two dickheads in this whole space, but thousands of really cool people that really have the great values, you know, <clears throat> really good values yeah. of their health and their consciousness and, and, and caring for others. And, um, I've met so many great people through sauna. It's, uh, it's, it just keeps fueling me, man. I'm just really grateful that sauna found me and I'm able to help others with it. Yeah. I mean, we're certainly grateful that, you know, we've had this opportunity. And so you mentioned your book and again, I can say this because I know with John Richter, who you've had on your podcast, and his book helped me immensely in building that. Um, your book, they can find this on Sauna Talk. Where else? Like, where where can they find your business? Where can they find what it is that you know your consult, your consulting? Where can they do find all this? Yeah, just go to saunatimes.com and start clicking around. My book is on there. I do consultations. Um, I have partners that build kick-ass saunas. Um, yeah, man, it's all there, saunatimes.com. And with your consultations, can you just do a quick, uh, you know, like w what all does that come with so the viewers know? So there's a lot of people that are kind of lost in the weeds. Like, do I want to check? Do I just want to write a check and get a sauna? Do I want to do this sauna build thing? Um, you know, they'll go through my book, they'll understand the process and they want to do it right. And it's a couple of hundred bucks and I guide them through, uh, I ask some very poignant questions. Uh, there's, there's a, you know, I've done this enough that I, I can distill it pretty quickly and give some direction guidance. Um, and that's a, that's a great thing. And it's, I don't do it to make a shit ton of money. I do it because many people contact me. And I just need to funnel it for my own sanity because uh, I can easily lose track. Like, when I, where are you again? And what is your project? And uh, it can get a little overwhelming, but I do my best to try to help. So that's what that consultation's about. Glenn, um, I think I, you know, obviously, I, I think I speak for Nick, but this, you know, blew blew my expectations completely out of the water. I knew this was going to be a, you know, an awesome podcast. Uh, this was a fucking fantastic podcast. Um, I was going to really, say, I knew my, my father's name is Glenn with two N's as is my middle name. So I, I had no doubt, but yeah, yeah, we, we, we really appreciate one, it. We don't trust a Glenn with one N and a mustache. No, no sir. <laughs> well, listen, you guys, if you want to, yeah, come to Minnesota, come to Minnesota, you know, in spring and fall, those are great summer times when the water's fucking cold. 
and and you'll know you'll get it man and a lot of people are getting it i've enjoyed my time with you guys you fire me up um as i may i'm not you know i'm easily fired up with sauna talk and so i've enjoyed my visit with you boys and uh again come to minnesota and uh we'll jump in the lake and get on the bench all right i'm looking forward to that uh that's uh that's that's a wrap for us and uh thank you glenn for uh for going against the herd all right